And he said to the first, how much do I owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in what is much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what another man who will give you what is your own, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, so let's go back and look at some of these things and try to get the context of what's going on. And This is a parable, okay? This isn't an actual story. This is a parable, and we've looked at parables many times. We can define them as such that they're earthly stories about a heavenly uh, uh, view of things, a parallel story of something physical that has a spiritual context to it. So when you look at it as a parable, and that's what it is, it always needs to be defined who are the major characters in this parable. They're usually not the people that you see because it has a, it has a higher meaning. So here it says there was a certain rich man, and he had a steward. Who is that rich man? Who does that represent? Who? God. It represents God. So, boy, that puts a whole different spin to it now. All right, there was a certain rich man, and he had the following. So now we kind of we got the context here. We're dealing with God. This story, this parable is about God dealing with an unjust steward. Okay? And, uh, well, first of all, what is a steward? If you look at the definition of a steward, there's many definitions, but I just chose one that seemed to fit this the best. It's some, a uh, definition of a steward is, a, uh, is someone who manages or looks after another's property. Very simple, right? A steward is what? Someone that looks after someone else's property. Keep that in mind. We can be stewards of our own things, but this was a steward of someone else's property. In this case, he's talking about, we said, Scott, who did we say the master was? So who is the stewards? Any of us. Well, specifically, he's talking to who? Who's the audience? He's talking to his disciples. Keep that in mind. Here's a man. Here's Jesus. Listen, there's three things going on here. Jesus is talking to his disciples, number one. Number two, it's a parable about an earthly thing that relates to a heavenly thing, okay? And we've already, Scott rightfully defined that the master here is God. So who is the steward? It's the religious hierarchy 
of the day. He said it could be any of us today. It could be, except that he's talking to his disciples. We want to get the context right. He's talking to them specifically, those 12. But he's talking about uh, this steward of his good. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about stewards of his word, okay? And here they are. This is a steward of his word. And we find out, of course, he's not handling it very well, is he? Okay, there's been an accusation brought against this religious hierarchy or the steward. Let's look back at some of the allegations or some of the accusations made against this hierarchy. Let's turn back just one to the first uh, prophet outside of Matthew. Let's go to Malachi. And there in Malachi 2, in verse 8, this accusation against this hierarchy is here. And it says this, But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble in the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. That's so sad. All right, who had the priesthood of God? What tribe? The tribe of Levi. They were entrusted in the law, the law of Moses. For 1,500 years, this is what this law judged, the, uh, ruled the Jewish people, okay? This was a law system given to God through Moses to them. They were to keep it. And uh, these people arose. What we see in the Old Testament were priests, and they were from the Levitical tribe, and they were to handle the law of Moses. But here, 450 years later, here we are in, in uh, the gospel account. And what's happened in 450 years? Let me tell you what's happened. This hierarchy has transformed into a monster, really, if you don't know the truth. There's the Pharisees, and there's the Sadducees, and there's the Sins. And there's the zealots. All this came about in this 450-year period. This was not, this was not uh, allocated in the law of Moses. And what does he say about it? You've corrupted the law. You've corrupted the law. The covenant of Levi that he established, with God established with him, you've corrupted that, and you have caused many, many to stumble by the law of Moses. Well, if you turn that to Christianity, let's just use me for an example as a preacher up here this morning. What he would be saying is, me as a preacher, I have corrupted the law of God, the, the, what Christ came to bring to this earth, and that's salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sin. As a preacher, is this hierarchy, you've corrupted all that. Is that a compliment he's laying on them? Not in the least. Not in the least. And uh, there's an accusation brought against this steward, it says. Let's turn over to Matthew 23 real quick. And look at something. Matthew 23. And let's see what Jesus has to say about this religious hierarchy. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 3, and I'll read through 8 real quick. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, they observe and do. Uh, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not uh, do according to their works, for they say and do not do. In other words, you with me? That kind of sounds confused. Do what I say. That's what I'm telling you to do. As a religious hierarchy, you do what I tell you to do. Am I going to do it? No, I'm not going to do it. But I want you to do it, and I'm telling you to do it. You see the injustice there? Verse, uh, verse 3. I mean, verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, and they put themselves... Uh, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do are to be seen by men. They make their, and I never can say that word right, 
phylacteries, broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. This is the bottom, the hem of their garments. They make a big deal out of that where you can look and see it and know who they are. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogue. You know them by where they sit and the prominence that they bring upon themselves. Greetings in the marketplace and they, uh, and they, and to be called by men, rabbi, a rabbi, the ultimate teacher. That's what they want to be called. But you, you do not call, do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher in Christ, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And I'll stop there. So it kind of tells you about them. They're arrogant. They uh, have taken over. They're not pleasing to God. And worst of all, they make people stumble in the law of Moses, and that's what they were supposed to be following, okay? And he says, wasting his goods, wasting his goods. All right, well, I had 2 Corinthians 4, 7 written down. If you want to turn there, you can, but that's uh, having this great treasure in what kind of jars? Clay jars, earthen jars. And that's what they are. They're earthen jars. That's what we are, and they're corrupting it too. Verse 2, all right. So he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for they can no longer be a steward. What does that remind you of? He said, I've heard these things about you. Give an account of yourself. It reminds me of that in Genesis where, where, about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, to me, that's a, this is something to think about. We know that God is all-knowing, all-present. God is everything. But yet in that, and, and I'll turn there, if you will, you can turn there. Uh, it's uh, Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21. And there in that case, Sodom and Gomorrah was doing these evil, evil, evilness. And it came up to God. And this is how it's portrayed. I heard about it. Now I'm going to go down and see for myself. Now we would think in our mind, and rightfully so, that God already knows all these things. They can automatically come to his mind. He knows exactly what's going on. And the truth of that is, yes, it is so. But I think it's for our uh, ability to understand and to relate to it. He says, I'm hearing about what's going on. And I'm going to go down there and check it out. I'm going to go down there and see it for myself. In the Sodom and Gomorrah case, in Genesis 18, verses 20, it says this. And the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether accordingly to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. He tells him, I've heard things about you. And if they're true, you can no longer be the steward of me. You can't be my steward any longer if these things are true. In the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember what he said, should I hold this from Abraham? Abraham, who I've appointed to be heir of these things, I'm going to reveal to him what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham shows his, his great mercy and compassion. He begs for, what was it, 50 and 20 and 30, and then there wasn't any righteous worthy. But it showed the, the heart of uh, Abraham. And it showed that God went actually and saw and heard what was going on. Well, he tells this man, what is this I hear about you? In the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, who reported those sins back to God? Do you remember? The angels. And in this case here, would it be any different? You know, when we, re when we get to Revelation, there's, there's some really things there to, that make you wonder. John writes in Revelation to the seven churches of Asia. 
And he says, the angels of those churches report back to me. Remember that? So I wonder, are the angels reporting to God about the church of Broadway? Do, they, do we have an angel that reports back on our behalf? I don't know. But there's some indication in the Bible the angels report back to God bad things that are going on on this earth. He says, what is this you're doing? I hear you're wasting my goods. Well, if we look at Romans 14 and 12, it says, so each one of us, each one of us, shall give an account of himself to God. That's what he's wanting this man to do, give an account of yourself. All right, verse 3. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Well, verse 4, you know what I would hope verse 4 would say? That I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to be contrite, and I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to say, please forgive me, and all these things. Does he do any of those things? Not a, not a hint of it, not a peep of it, not a word of it. He immediately turns to within himself, and he comes to the, uh, first of all, he comes to the obvious. I'm too old, in this case, I guess. I'm too old or too weak or whatever, but I can't physically go out and do the work. I can't go out and dig. I can't do that. And, you know, uh, all of us, as we get older, the things we did as a young man or a young woman, we can't, can no longer do. I told Sherry, I said, if we don't get better, we're going to have to change the times of church. I can't even get here at 9 o'clock anymore. You say, oh, we'll change the times from 12 to 1. How about that? I'm joking. He said, I'm too old to dig. I'm too sore, too, too uh, whatever, and I'm ashamed to beg. Well, I don't want to beg either, but he didn't have to beg for money. All he had to do was beg for what? For mercy and forgiveness. Wow. Is that a little louder? Is that just me? Okay, all he had to do was get on his knees, but he didn't want to do that, did he? I'm too ashamed. So he comes up with a very carnal plan. That's his plan. Verse 4, I have resolved what to do. I came to my senses, bing, the light went off in my head. Now I know what I'm going to do. Uh, when? He believed his master did. When I am kicked out, when I am no longer the steward, I want to be received into their houses. Who's those houses? Those houses that my master deals with. The, the people that I have the, the oversight over. The people that I'm supposed to have the steward over them. If I can't, if I can't, I can no longer be the steward of, for my master. He's found me out, so I'll go the other way. I'll jump ship, and I'll go to them. Shows you just how really corrupt he really was, doesn't it? He's not going to, he's not going to repent. He's not going to be contrite. So he devised a plan, verse 4. Verse 5, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Well... Verse 5, what I don't like about verse 5 is it's the beginning of a conspiracy, isn't it? If you look at it, it's a conspiracy. He goes and he says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, well, I owe 100, what was it, all? Let's see here. Yeah, verse 6, we'll look at verse 6. He says, um, 100 measures of all. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Yes, sir. Boy, you've already gotten to the end of the game, hadn't you? <laughs> Y'all hear what he said? You know, and what's sad is, in this room, because I know, I, I've known nearly all of you for a long time, 
And some of you I haven't known so long, but I, I can already tell what kind of people you are. This stuff doesn't really apply to us, does it? It can, of course. It can. But I have worldly, I'm not going to say friends, I'm going to say worldly connections or colleagues, and they have no issue whatsoever in pulling off the biggest scam in the world. They would rob, they wouldn't necessarily rob you, they certainly wouldn't come up to a man and take his wallet, but they'd cheat the government all day long. They'd cheat their neighbor all day long. They'd cheat in, the, in a business deal all day long. And you know what their word means? Nothing. Yes, sir. He's got these co-conspirators, and just right when we get to it, they're going to be a part of this too. But let's go back to what it is, because this seems we can get off track real easy. We can start thinking about olive oil and wheat and all this kind of stuff. We're not careful. Who is this man? Who does he represent? The religious hierarchy. He represents God and the people that are going to train people. And he, he, he represents the, the teacher of the law of Moses. And he's corrupt. And why is he corrupt? Over what? Money. Over money. It's all about money. When are we going to realize what money is? Come to my house. I'd like to show you something. I'd like to show you something. I've got several axes at my house. And I've got a long nail bar. And let's see what else I've got. I've got a chainsaw. And I have a tiller. And I have these things. What would we call these things? Tools, right? These are tools to pull nails with and cut wood down and, and, and uh, turn the dirt over, right? That's all money is. You know what it took to get those tools? Money. I took money and purchased those tools with money. And now they're tools, and I use them to do wood and dirt and all that. But they're just tools. That's all money is. That's all money is is a tool. Why do we treat it like it's something so precious that we sleep with it and adore it and love it and it isn't going anywhere with us. It's just paper. It's just metal. It's just a tool. Cindy. I think we can pull one more thing out of this. All right. Pull it. Greediness. In verse 5, the steward who is supposed to know everything about his master's properties and his financial matters. But yet he's asking them. He says, mm-hmm. Yeah. He was lazy. Clueless. Yeah. Lazy, lazy and clueless. Well, you pointed out why he was a bad steward then, hadn't you? Because that's true. He's a bad steward. How much oil do you owe my master? I owe him 100. We'll make it 50. He's dragging them in. They're going to be co-conspirators. Says something about them too. Now then, at verse 6, that's a good point to stop and think about something. We're talking about oil. We're talking about wheat. And we got it. And we understand how that correlates with the story. But when you look at the religious uh, aspect of it, you've got a corrupted leader there he's co-opting the others to be corrupted and they are willing to do so very willing to and their payoff is what in this case half the money i get to save and keep for myself greed and uh and he 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 proves a point they're just like him he's like them and they're like him but think about this from a religious standpoint all right you got a corrupted religious leader and he's co-opting people to be part of that corruption and they're doing it willingly Willingly, they're wanting to. Why? Because he's got something to sell, and they're buying it. Verse 7, then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat, and he said, make it 80. Same thing's going on, exact same thing's going on. 
And I say to you, verse 9, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they will receive you into, everla- to their, uh, into an everlasting home. Okay. What is that everlasting home in verse 9? Not one I want to join. Okay. Has anything changed in the 2,000 years that this has been written? Not one iota. Not one. This is what makes me believe in the Bible more than anything else. You know, I've heard people say, I, I saw a baby's ear when he was born. I looked at how that ear, and that made me believe in God. This is what makes me believe in God. Nothing has changed. Everything's just like it was in this corrupt world, and we see it just that way. Verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in what uh, is unjust also in much. Verse 10, boy, that's a tongue Tongue twister, isn't it? But this is what it means. If you say to yourself, well, if I, if I ever had the chance to have more responsibility, I wouldn't do the lazy job, slowful job that I'm doing right now. I would be better. If, oh, if they would just believe in me and give me the chance and give me the responsibility to step up, I'd show them something. But in my present state, because I see myself as little, Guess what I'm doing? Little. Doing nothing. But if I got a chance to do big things, I'd do them. What does the Bible say about that? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If you're lazy, if you're slowful in little things, you will do. You will absolutely be lazy and slowful in other things. If you do good with little things, you'll also do good with big things. The parable of the talent. Talents. There was a man given five. There was a man given two, and there was a man given one. What was the man that was given one? What was his biggest problem? Lazy. He's lazy, unfaithful, uh, uncaring. <sighs> he blew the dust off his talent and handed it back to the master and said, What? I knew that you were a hard man. I knew, not, not saying that any of this is true, but this is what he said. I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you were a hard master. I knew that you would want to reap where you haven't sowed. Not necessarily true at all, but that's what he said. That was his accusation against the Lord. And the Lord's, I loved his answer. Well, if you knew that, if that's really what you thought, well, then why didn't you do something about it? Why didn't you at least put it on the money lenders so that they could draw a little interest? But as it is, you did nothing. Who got that talent? Who? The man with five. Think about that. The man with five got this lazy man's talent because he had done much with much, and much was given more to him. And that's the way God does. If you prove on this earth that you can handle God's word and you can do good things with it, he says he's got great things in store for you. And if you can't handle your faith on this earth, then you're sad, sad situation, aren't you? Verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteousness of mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? All right, what kind of riches are we supposed to store up? Okay, that, that what can't happen to it on earth? That rust and, and uh, time and thievery and all these things can't happen to it, right? Are they, are they, does it have anything to do with money? No. We're to lay up riches. Riches are doing good things. Riches are the things that we're called to do on this earth. And those things can't be taken from you. They can't be stolen. They can't be put on a shelf and rust eats them up. What happens to money? 
slowly, surely, just goes back to the dust that it came from. I wish that we could all truly get a handle on money. All of us. I'm talking about myself, too. We all need money. We know that. Money's what makes the world go round, okay? I, I got you. We have to buy our, pay our bills. We have to buy clothing. We have to buy phones. We have to do all these things. I got it. But why do we love it? Why, do we, why would we give our soul up for something that's just a tool? I wish we could really get a handle on that. And it's always an issue because people love money. They love the power of it. What is it? You help me. Tell me. What is it people love about money? What is it? Love enough of it to give their soul up for it. What is it? I think it's power. Power? That's certainly one thing that a lot of money can do. It can give you power. What else? Influence. Influence. Same thing, power. Security. Boy, that's what I hear more than anything else, okay? You know, I may need this money when I get old. I don't know what Social Security is going to pay for. I don't know what Medicare is going to pay for or, or my supplement. Well, you just named three things that's going to take care of all of it. But you've got to have an excuse. I may need this money when I'm old. I may have to have a nurse come by the house and check on me. All those other things take care of that. No, 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 I need this money. Well, how much? I need several million dollars, you know. Do you really? What good could you have done with that instead of hoarding it? You know, the, the, the money has never been the sin. It's the love of it. How many times have you heard that misquoted? Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. There was no one on this earth richer than Abraham. No one on this earth richer than Solomon or David. Do you understand that? We, we, we could name off these tycoons today. They weren't rich like that. Not at all were they rich like that. And not in their wildest dreams were they rich like that. That's not the point. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we always want to blame the billionaire, don't we? Yeah. What about the little guy that makes uh, 50 grand a year and he's as tight as two coats of paint? He's not going to help anybody. He's not going to do anything for anyone. And he's wondering why he can't get more money, right? Same thing, same thing. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, restricted just to the uh, absolute wealthy, is it? All right. He says in verse uh, verse 12, and that's something we need to tell ourselves. Quit saying one of these days, okay? Quit telling yourself that one of these days I'm going to do the following. How about today? Today's the day to do it. Verse 12, it says, if you've not been faithful with another man's, uh, uh, if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, how will you, uh, who will give you what is your own? In other words, you've just pro he's just proven to be unfaithful, Stuart. Lazy, incompetent. And so he's not going to be, he's expecting something down the road and nothing is going to be coming his way. You know, there is a, we, in the youth group, we've studied uh, all 50 chapters of, of Genesis. Good study. Went at it at a little different angle, you know, because of their age. I went at it at a little different angle on teaching. But the angle I went to was very good, and uh, uh, I think every student got it. And when you think about it, it's basically the theme of the Bible. After you've obeyed the gospel, it's basically the theme of the Bible, and that is this. Wait for it. You ready? We reap what we sow. That is basically the theme of the Bible. Outside the gospel, once we obey the gospel and live it, then it's basically that. We reap what we sow. If we live righteous, and righteousness is our pursuit in life and holiness, that's what God's called us to do, right? What are we going to reap? 
What does Romans 8, 1 say? There's no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus, those that walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We have a home in heaven. I mean, it's set. We can mess it up. But if we don't, if we just stay on track, we're going to be redeemed from, uh, from the world. We're going to be redeemed all our life. And it's simply because we're going to reap what we've sowed. God asks us to, God asks us to comply, to listen, to obey, and to do. And if we do that, we're going to reap forever and ever eternity with him in heaven. But if we don't, if we love money, if we want to serve money, if we want to serve the Satan, then we're going to reap that. And there's no way around it. And when you get to reaping in, John, in uh, Galatians 6, this is what he says. It would make perfectly, perfect sense to all of us. If you've sown for the majority of your life, this is what you've sown, was just to the earthly side of uh, the carnal side of humanity, well, then why would you expect to, to, uh, to receive a spiritual reward? But everybody seems to do that. Don't I hear people all the time, they live like you wouldn't believe. They shacked up with people. They do all kinds of stuff. And they say, you got to be prepared when God calls you home like I am. And you go, wow, do you know what the Bible says? Look how you're living. But they want to live that way, but they want to reap the spiritual reward of those that are faithful to God. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All right. He says in verse 13, and it's so true, you got to make up your mind because what you think you're doing is an impossibility. It is an impossibility to serve money and God. You're going to hate one or despise. He gives the two choices here. He says no one can serve two masters, and he gives the reason. He says for either he'll hate one and love the other. That's simple enough. I hate you and I love you. And that's kind of the world. The world has rejected God. I don't love God, but I love the world, you know, the pleasures and all that goes with the world. The other is what? Or else, he says, it's loyalty. It's not so much hatred as it's I'm loyal to this and I'm not loyal to that, which basically brings on love and hate, doesn't it? And you will either be loyal to one or hate the other. All right. Now then, we started off, and I'm about to finish here, we started off in verse... Uh, one, it says, he also said to his disciples. Well, in verse 14, we find out what? Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things. Guess who else was listening? The very people he was talking about. Do you think they made the, the, uh, the correlation? They did. They did. You remember in John chapter 9, dealing with a blind man, a man born blind. That whole chapter is dedicated to that blind man. His parents, what his neighbors said, what the blind man said, what the Pharisees said back. There's two or three interviews there. We're privy to all of them in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And he says, uh, uh, trying to make a point. I don't want to forget it. Just a minute. I guess I have forgotten it. I was trying to make it. Having a, uh, it'll come back to me in just a minute. Oh, uh, now, the Pharisees, when they're, oh, yes, and I got it. In John chapter 9, at the end of that chapter, he says, uh, they comment. He says, oh, I got it. You're saying that we're the blind ones. See, they got it. You're saying we're blind. He said, well, if you could see, you would be guilty of, I mean, you wouldn't be guilty of your sin. But now that you say you have no sin, then you are blind. So that's the point. Well, they listened to all that chapter 9 about the blind man, and they knew that he was talking about them. Here, same thing. What does it say now? The Pharisees, verse 14 who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. They, they belittled him for this. They didn't appreciate it. 
And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In, in this case, what specifically would he be talking about there? Verse 16. I mean, uh, verse, what was the abomination that they held so high? Money. Money. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. That's another subject in itself. But what he says in verse 15 is something that we need to think about. We're living in a highly sex-driven world that we live in, okay? These young people are caught up in it. They see all these sexual things. These phones are horrible. But what is that to God? It's an abomination. But how do men esteem that? Worldly people. And the, some of the high, uh, highest thoughts are sexual. That's the greatest thing. You know, if you're purely carnal, that's something you really think about. What is it to God? Abomination. All this money that I love and that I've hoarded and that just I live and breathe. I love it, love it, love it. All this. What is that to God? Abomination. So many things that this world holds in such high esteem are an abomination to God. You know, in Matthew 7, he says this. One of the greatest lessons of all is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things, he'd already gone over clothing, food, money, security, home. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And then he even goes into the your heavenly Father knows every need you have. He talks about the birds. Do they have apartments? Do they have homes? Do they have uh, uh, storehouses? And the answer is no. God takes care of every one of them. He'll take care of you too. Ask, seek, and knock, and it'll be given to you. That's a concept. It shouldn't be hard for us to understand because he uses it. He starts it off by... You who are evil know how to give good gifts. You wouldn't give your kid a scorpion if you asked for an egg. And the obvious is, no, I love my children. I wouldn't give them something bad if they would ask for something good. Well, then how, what about your heavenly father? That's what he's talking about. What about God above? How much more is he uh, knows what your needs are than you do as a parent? He's going to give you good things. He's going to give you everything you need. But you've got to do something first. What's that? Ask, seek, and knock. Figure him out. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to uh, preaching here in a little bit. Thank you for your attention, kind attention, and we'll end with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful today to be able to be here to study your word. We pray that you be with Jim as he's in Missouri holding a gospel meeting today. We pray, uh, pray that that will be uh, profitable to them. I know that uh, hearing his uh, good preaching will help them and feed them today. Father, be with me today as I preach, and I pray that same for myself, and Father, we pray for all those that are here and for those that are watching online. Father, we pray that we glorify your name today in Christ's name. Amen.